Good morning. I'm Pastor Eric Samborski. Thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. You know, there's such a fervor now of wanting to be a part of an important cause. We'll be talking about the most important cause and resistance effort that you could ever be a part of. Last week, I gave an overview of God's resistance against sin, self, the devil, and the world. Today, we'll be talking about what it means to resist sin. Now let's enter the briefing. There are two types of sin. There's actual or committed sin, and then there's indwelling sin. What we're interested, though, at this time is what is a Bible definition for committed sin. If you look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 17, we're told that all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Let's just think about that word unrighteousness for a moment. I would define unrighteousness as choosing not to live in conformity to God's known divine will as revealed in Jesus in heart or in life. So that scripture again says all unrighteousness is sin. Another verse is also in 1 John, the third chapter and the fourth verse. We are told, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Let's define that word transgression. Transgression is the act of going beyond any law or rule of moral duty by going against a principle of rightness. So again, let's, let's combine these two things together. If we were to take those two definitions of all unrighteousness and sin and whosoever committed sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law, we would come up with the definition that John Wesley coined of sin, which is sin is a voluntary transgression of a known law of God. In other words, you knew about it and you did it on purpose. God distinguishes between willful disobedience and a mistake. Look in Psalm 19, 12 through 13. It, David tells us, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. So we see secret faults, which appears to be he may have done something that in the most absolute sense is wrong, but he didn't know about it. And he's asking God to cleanse him from even those things that he doesn't know about. But then he says, keep back your servant from, from presumptuous sins. And presumptuous means high-handed. You've done it on purpose. So here we see David making a distinguishing mark between willful disobedience and a mistake. If we look in the book of Numbers, we find that that happens even in the sacrifices. Uh, we are told Numbers 15, 28 through 31, and the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly. When he sinneth by ignorance before the Lord to make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. Ye shall have one law for him that sinneth through ignorance, both for him that is born among the children of Israel 
and for the stranger that sojourneth among them. But the soul that doeth aught presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people, because he hath despised the word of the Lord and hath broken his commandment. That soul shall utterly be cut off. His iniquity shall be upon him. So here we find that there's a difference there between somebody who sins ignorantly and somebody who sins presumptuously. In other words, willful disobedience and a mistake. If you look in Genesis chapter 20, the first six verses, we read this. Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she is my sister, and she, even she herself, said, he is my brother? And the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said, listen to this, God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me, therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. There, God acknowledged that Abimelech did not do this willfully because he didn't know that Sarah was Abraham's wife. So we find a direct acknowledgement from God as a difference between willful disobedience and a mistake or a sin of ignorance unintentionally. Uh, we still need to confess and make good, however, if we have sinned ignorantly. And when we do know about that, it needs to be covered in the blood of Christ. There's no condemnation if we sin ignorantly. In other words, there's no break in our walk with God. We're not condemned and on our way to hell. But if after we have the light, we do these things, then there's a responsibility laid on us and we can't claim ignorance anymore. So it's possible to live holy in this life. That is, while men are still in a human body, which is subject to infirmities and mistakes, but if one can be holy and free from sin under such circumstances, then it follows that sins are not the same as infirmities or mistakes. So the following passages from the Word of God, this shows us what God's standard, or excuse me, that God's standard is holiness while we're still in the body. So Luke chapter 1, the 74th and 75th verse, uh, we're told um, this is uh, Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah. He says, about God that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him, that is God, without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So either we can serve God in holiness and righteousness or this is a lie. In Titus chapter 2 verse 12, uh, we're told teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world. It sounds like this is a life lived without sin, a life of resisting sin. So let's talk about these willful sins. We've talked about the sins of ignorance. What about willful sins? These come from a deliberate choice to do against what you know is right and that often proceeds from a wicked or a corrupt heart. Think about in the book of Acts, right after the birth of the church, Ananias and Sapphira put on a show like they're going to give 
uh, of their of all their belongings. And yet that's what they wanted everyone else to believe. And what they really did, though, was they kept back some of the price, but they wanted to be uh, looked at or known as all these other people that sacrificed their all. So they had a wrong motive and they were clearly understanding that what they had done was wrong and they did it anyway. So how do I know what sin is? We're told in Romans 3.20, by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law helps us to know what sin is. There's a few places throughout scripture that tell us this. This is in the New Testament, but referencing things that were understood of the law. Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 20. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, or parties, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. We're told in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So by the law, we have the knowledge of sin. In other words, we know what sin is because of God's law. But what types of sins are there that we need to be resisting? They're sins of omission and they're sins of commission. In other words, they're sins where I know what I should do and yet I don't do it. I, I hold myself back from doing it. I refrain from doing the right thing. Then there's the sins of commission, which is, this is wrong and I'm doing it. So we need to be guarding uh, on both sides. We need to be resisting sins of not doing what we know we should do, or we need to resist sins to refrain from doing what we know is wrong. Willful sin brings condemnation. We're headed for hell. And this willful sin needs to be confessed, repented of, and we need to believe in Christ to save us from it. So not every willful sin comes from an unsaved person. Depending on the enormity and the quality of the sin committed, you might need to be saved all over again. You at least have to repent and do the first works. Now, some may hear this and think, well, I've been told once you're saved, you're always saved. You can't lose your salvation. I'm not advocating that somebody would lose their salvation. It's not like one day you wake up and say, where did my salvation go? I've lost it. But you can, in your covenant relation with God, forfeit your salvation. In other words, you're not keeping your part of the covenant of grace in the New Testament by living the way God wants you to. So you can choose to forfeit your salvation and turn your back on God. Willful sin brings condemnation. If you're violating God's principles and commands, you are sinning. You need to determine the character of your sins. Is it a willful sin or is it ignorant? Willful ignorance, though, we've got to be careful. Willful ignorance is sin. If I choose to remain ignorant on purpose because I don't want the responsibility, I've sinned already. Now, if we have sinned, there's pardon. For the act of sin, there's pardon. Romans 3, 25 and 23. 
uh, 6 tells us, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation, that is Christ, through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So Christ will pardon us through his own sacrifice. Acts 13.39, we're told, by him, that is Christ, all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. So there is a pardon. There is forgiveness for sin. Well, how do I resist sin? How do I gain this pardon? You have to repent. What are we repenting of? We're repenting of willful sins. I can't repent of something that I don't know about, but I can repent of something that I do know about that's wrong. And what is the sin that brings condemnation? It's willful sin. So I am repenting of those willful sins that I know bring condemnation on my soul. There are two types of repentance that you and I need to know about. The the scripture bears it out. There is a godly sorrow that works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So godly sorrow is where you've realized that you have sinned against God, and it brings about a true change of life resulting in salvation. Then in this same verse, we are told that there is a worldly sorrow where it's basically you realize you've been caught in sin and you got yourself in a mess, but there's no lasting change in your ways resulting in eternal death. So an example of godly sorrow is after David committed adultery with Uriah's wife Bathsheba, he prays this. Uh, David says unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. We see there was a godly sorrow in David's heart, and God immediately recognized it. An example of worldly sorrow would be Judas. Judas, which had betrayed him, betrayed Christ, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself, and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. If Judas had a godly sorrow, he would have sensed or known, first of all, the true sorrow of heart that then would have drove him to God for forgiveness. But instead, he was just so beside himself for what he did, he went and hung himself. Those are two different types of sorrow or or repentance in some respect, but we want that godly sorrow, that true repentance that leads to salvation. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. D.O. Moody said, If there was no godly sorrow for sin, he doubts that you have ever been saved. So, how do you know you need to be saved? 
unless you know that you are lost. You must repent before you can be saved. It's not to make yourself better. It's not like repenting is a work, not to make myself better in order to be saved, but to change one's heart about sin so that God can save. Christ can't save a soul that does not loathe their sin. So we find in Scripture that God commands everyone to repent, Acts 17.30. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. In 2 Peter 3.9, we're told the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we find it's the heart of God that people should repent. In the Old Testament, there are many cases where people are told to re- uh, repent. A-, a notable thing is in Psalm 34:14, we find depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. God many times also told the children of Israel to repent from their idol worship. John the Baptist inside of the New Testament, we're told uh, he's preaching and saying, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand in Matthew 3, verse 2. Jesus himself, the first words he preached, Jesus said in, in Matthew 4, 17 and in Mark 1, 15, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus said in, in Mark 2, 17, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So if there's any question, Jesus himself, his first words were repent, repent, repent. Sin leads us to death. So if we continue in sin and we don't repent of it and turn our back from it, we're already told if Jesus basically came to save his people from their sins, then it's impossible to be saved and yet continue in sin. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Or in Romans 6, 1, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The concept of repentance is throughout the entire scripture and especially throughout the New Testament. There's no other way in but the way that Jesus said. Jesus himself said it in John 10, 1. He said, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. In Matthew 7, 13 through 14, he said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. What is he talking about, straight and narrow? I believe that it is a wholesale rejection of sin through repentance. Anything less than what Christ said, anything less than a true godly repentance and a continuing to live in sin is just giving up ourselves to a strong delusion. We must repent. Some people live and teach that you can get saved by going from sin to faith without going through the straight gate of repentance. However, we are told that repentance is for the remission or the, or the forgiveness of sins in Acts 2.38. Peter said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In Acts 3.19, we're told the order here. 
It says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. So first, repentance, second, conversion, and third, the blotting out of your sins. We find in Acts 26.20, there must be a real turning from evil so that your works show that you've repented. We're told that we should repent and turn to God and do works meet or suitable for repentance. If repentance is not being preached, then the gospel is not being preached. Jesus said, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Or rather, it was said that uh, Jesus told his disciples to do all this and to begin in Jerusalem. So if we're resisting sin, we must repent. However, repentance without faith is not going to get us very far. Paul was testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So you may say, well, how in the world am I supposed to repent? First, find out what your sins are, the sins that you're committing and the ones that you have committed, and then resolve by the grace of God to never sin again. You cannot do this without God's power and grace, but you, ma- you have to make that choice. It must be with a godly sorrow, for we're told that the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. If you've truly repented, it will be seen and known outwardly. You can't just have the name. You know, I can't just have the the merit badge on me. Well, I got my ticket punched and now I'm saved. I've got to repent. But when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. What's being told us here? They took comfort in some kind of special belief that Abraham was their father. Well, it doesn't matter what your doctrinal system is. Uh, You can't just hide inside of your doctrinal system. You must repent and flee from the wrath to come. Part of that repentance, though, is confession. Some people just, it's like they just want to say a nice little prayer and Jesus will say them. And I I can't say that that has never happened. I believe it probably has happened, but you would find inside of those people's hearts that there was true sorrow for their sins and repentance. But we're kind of breaking this apart in order to help us understand the concept. So we need to confess, and I would define confession like this. To relieve your burdened conscience by uncovering all your known sins, telling God each one specifically, and acknowledging that you alone are responsible and guilty. This does not mean that you have to remember every sin that you've ever committed so that you can properly confess, but really as much as you do know and remember must be confessed. When I name out my sins one by one, it does something to my heart. Confession is contained in true repentance. Confession makes repentance vocal. When we confess, there's no concealing, there's no covering up, there's no denying. And you might say, well, do I really have to confess? God requires it. 
We're told in Hosea 5.15, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense. This is God speaking, till they acknowledge their offense or their sins and they seek my face in their affliction, they will seek me early. More clearly in Proverbs 28.13, we're told, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So I guess the question is, do you really want to resist sin? Well, we're told that if you confess and forsake, that is confession and repentance, because repentance is forsaking, we will have mercy. There are some examples that we find inside of the scripture. David's heart smote him, as I told you earlier about uh, how Nathan exposed his sin of adultery. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done, and now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. Psalm 32, 5. I have acknowledged my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid, I said. I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sins. There's confession again. For I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. There's confession. Psalm 38, 18. In Psalm 51, we find David's confession just laid out with his sin for Bathsheba and his contrition of soul, his repentant heart. Luke 15, 18, we're told uh, from the prodigal son, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. So in order for your confession and repentance to be real, you must take the whole blame upon your own soul. Otherwise, you cannot properly have the faith needed to save you. This would rob you of having total reliance on Jesus Christ because so long as the blame is elsewhere, God cannot help you because you won't acknowledge that you are the problem. True confession is the seal of true repentance. Now, I've said this before, but if you have repentance and confession but no faith, you have no salvation. True confession and true repentance, that is just the digging up of the soil of our heart, plowing through so that true we can be in a position to truly believe on Christ to save us. And that biblical faith is total reliance that God is fully pleased with what Jesus did. Therefore, there's no need to work your way into salvation. To work your way to be saved is to insult Jesus who said, that this is the work of God, that ye may believe on him whom he hath sent. We're told, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. In other words, repentance is not stopping your sins and trying to save yourself in order that you can be saved. Repentance is hating the sin that has stained your soul. Repentance is changing your attitude towards sin inside of your heart and confessing all these things that you've done so that I can grab a hold of the salvation of Christ with both hands in total reliance and faith that he can pull me up out of the ditch. We're told, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're told, if we confess our sins, he, Christ, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, 
in this fight in God's resistance, if you truly want to join God's resistance, the first step is you must resist sin and you must continue to resist sin the rest of your life until God calls you home. That is the true resistance of God to resist your sin. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of God's Resistance. Have you confessed and repented of your sins? Have you trusted in Christ to save you from your sin? Are you now living a life that is victorious over sin? Please tune in next Sunday at 9 a.m. as we will discuss more in depth what it means to resist self. If you'd like a copy of this broadcast or if you need someone to talk or pray with you, please contact us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N. CE. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. Join the resistance. God's resistance. A special thank you to the Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.